Dear Catherine, in these few weeks, every time when I passing central to my office in Nechko, I saw many colorful tents just outside Chiang Kong Center, one of the landmark buildings in these areas. Inside the tents, there are hundreds of container port workers on their strike, and sleeping outside this building were the head office of the holding company of the single biggest container port operator in Hong Kong. The demonstration in Central is, in fact, the second phase of the workers' strike campaign. The first phase has been demonstration at the container port more than a month ago. Unlike ordinary labor movement or strike, this campaign has gained wide support all over Hong Kong. Students and young people are amongst those who always stand side by side with the workers. The trade union has raised nearly eight million strike funds from public, and this is record fundraising for a single strike. When the donation box was set up outside MTR station for less than an hour, there are already more than ten thousand dollars in waste. Of course, every time the workers ask for public join their demonstration, there will be several thousands people joining. You may ask why so many people support the worker. Over the past ten to twenty years, there has been a phenomenon that there emerge a few giant commercial groups that have business in nearly all areas. And together, monopolize almost all business they have engaged, including property, supermarket, telecommunication, buses, ferry, and of course, container port operation. While these groups have easily raised mid billions of revenue every year from the extensive commercial network, their employees usually cannot share much of the profit. On the contrary, these groups have been using all possible means to reduce the expenses and salary payout. For instance, in the container port, the commercial group controlling this container port, which accounts for more than 70% of market share, has been using the tricks of contract out to gain more profit. Though thousands of workers are working very hard for the 24 hours round the year on soft services in the port, most of them do not have any employer-employee relationship with the port operator. The contractors involved. Being the middleman, have the mission of squeezing the worker further and achieve the target set by the big boss behind, and help the big boss to avoid the responsibility that fall on them. Hence, the workers are earning less than 15 years ago, and yet there are few workers on every shift to share their workload. The end result: they have some 30% less in headcounts in every shift, but less salary compared to 15 years ago. They need to work non-stop for 24 hours or even more to gain the salary promised by the contractor. In contrast to less than flat $58 hourly wage earned by the port workers, no matter it is overtime or 24-hour shift, the port operator has successfully achieved record high profit of over 3.5 billion just from the operation in Hong Kong. The workers don't have proper meal time, and their meal will be served by lunch box, which delivered through the crane and have few minutes for them to finish. They are not allowed to go toilet. Instead, they need to do it within the tiny control room of the crane, and the big machine that moves the container, nicknamed Big Monster. What kind of working condition it is? One may ask, since we have the labor law to protect the workers, what is happening at the container port should not be allowed. The reality is the government department seldom really concerns the workers' right. The strike has been more than a month, and the negotiations seems to be in a dead knock. Yet the senior government officials appear always hiding behind the scene. Our chief executive seldom speaks on the strike. The secretary for manpower always claimed he is working hard on deck 
But both him and the chief of labor department somehow are the absentee of him, and you could hardly trace their contribution in ending this strike. Perhaps this just reflects the mentality of the government. The labor department and the government seem to concern more about the welfare of the employer, particularly the big commercial groups, than ordinary workers. As the parity between the poor and the rich getting bigger, the tension between the people and the super rich will only becoming more intense. Unless the government recognizes this and make efforts to rectify the disparity, introducing regulation of monopoly of various public utilities, and cutting down reliance on the property speculation, the conflict between the tycoons running these big groups and ordinary people will be getting greater. The accusation of collusion between the tycoons and the government will be staying, and more people will be tempted to join the rally against the government. And this would not serve any good in achieving stable governance in Hong Kong. The real issue behind is even more complex. In the present system, both the chief executive and almost half of the legislative councillors are not elected through popular election. These people usually require a blessing from the mainland government and the commercial sector. Which partly explains why most of the policy is appeared to incline towards the interests of business circle. Perhaps what really can help in solving the deep-rooted issues in Hong Kong is a real and responsible constitutional reform, which is honoured by our basic law, that our chief executive and all members of the legislative council should be returned by a popular election.